everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Recorded live. Y'all get to looking so smart. Keep number, what is it, 155? We're looking at the Ten Commandments, realizing that they are a part of the Old Covenant. There are some factors in the Old Covenant that are renewed for the New Covenant because the one that they are about has not changed and that those that are about God has not changed. There are some things there that are put in that those Ten Commandments as lessons, and we've lost the lesson, but we're going to learn those. There are some things that Jesus looked at and said, Now you have heard of old that it was said this way, but I'm going to tell you that it's different than that now because he changed the law, and the New Covenant uh, is uh, different than the Old Covenant, particularly in its end result. whereas the Old Covenant was designed to bring about a consciousness of sin and death, the New Covenant brings about forgiveness and life. Let's go to Acts, or uh, Acts. I just got out of Acts, didn't I? (laughs) Let's go to Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. here's where we've been just real quickly here beginning with chapter 20 and uh, let's look at verse uh, 1 then God spoke all these words saying so there's probably a lot more being said than what is recorded Moses is recording this I am verse 2 I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery so he is speaking specifically to whom to the Jews, though the, to the house of Israel. And then verse 3 is commandment number 1, is you shall have no other gods before me. There shall be nothing between you that attracts your affection between you and the God who is there. And choosing, choosing God, that, that's tough. Choosing the one who is there is tough. It's tougher than it would seem. And you think about when you wake up on Tuesday morning, who or what then is the God of your life? Is it really the God who is there? Or is there something between you and Him that really has become your God? And that's what he's talking about. That which draws your affection to Him, even on Tuesday morning. Any morning is great for me, but, you know, some mornings are just kind of mundane. Tuesday morning, that's exciting. 
Tuesday morning is a mundane morning for some of us. But God still leaves it up to us. And I, I want you to really get a handle on this. God still leaves it up to us what we do about what He has just said. You shall have no other gods before me. Nothing coming between you. No, nothing. Nothing at all can draw your affections, your thinking between you and God. But God still leaves it up to us. And isn't that amazing? The most important thing in life, and God leaves it up to us, Shouldn't that have been imposed or forced upon all of us that we really didn't have those options to have to deal with? Wouldn't you rather have had God tell you and force you to only see Him as the one who is there and not allow anything in between? Shouldn't it have been that way? That's kind of how politicians think, isn't it? You know, we... We'd sure like to have everybody equal, and so they're going to force the issue. But you know, here we have the most important thing in life, and God leaves it up to us. He does not impose or or, uh, force His way or His thinking upon us or anyone else. It's left to us. He leaves it all up to us. Then verse 4, the second commandment was, not only are you to have no other God before Him, there is one God that's retaught in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 5 and many other places. But those are the ones that we've looked at. In verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Um, that's anything that is how you reflect God to be. So He's telling us here, do not... Do not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water beneath the earth. Don't reduce God who is there to anything less than what is there. Don't make God who is unseeable, seeable. Don't make God something that is makeable. Because as soon as you begin to make God, after any fashion of your thinking, you have reversed the role. God has created you. You cannot create a God. Well, but I I think we ought to think this way. Let's go to Isaiah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Isaiah chapter 55. And uh, let's look at this. Start with verse 6. And we kind of, we have an idea about how we would like God to think. How we would like God to think about what we think. Rather than learning what it is what God thinks, 
and surrendering ourselves to that, we try to have an idea in our mind that somehow God's going to be acceptable of however it is we think. Folks, folks, that's dangerous. Look at this passage. Isaiah 55 and verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. So whose responsibility is it here? Ours. You seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And that word call means to appeal to. It means when you have appealed to Caesar in the New Covenant, it means that you have surrendered everything you own to Caesar. Your family, all of your farms, all of your orchards, everything has been surrendered to him. That's the word that's used for call here. Let the, but, but that's not where we want to go for now. But that's just something that's free. Verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way. Who's responsible for that? Who, who's responsible here? In forsaking your way, the ways of the wicked. The wicked are. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts. Who's in control of his thinking? The unrighteous, the unrighteous man. He has the responsibility here. Let him return to the Lord. Who has to return to the Lord? By whose authority and by whose choice? The man's choice, the individual's choice. You're not following me, are you? Okay. And then God will have compassion on him. The one who has made the deliberate, rational choice to do the right thing is the one that God, oh, he picks up on you. He will have compassion on that man and to our God, and he will abundantly pardon. Now, notice verse 8, and that's where we wanted to come. Because we, we, we tend to think that somehow how we think is how God's going to be. But my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Now we need to pause on that. You need to think about that. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Repentance is bringing your thinking into an alignment with how God thinks. Verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, uh, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we need to bring our thinking into alignment with how God thinks. We don't want to reverse the role and feel like somehow God is going to change how he thinks to agree with where we are. That's not how it works. And of course, the scriptures are true to God's thinking. So we want to make sure that we understand the whole of the scriptures, the whole purpose of God, so that we are always in alignment or working toward being in alignment with God. Now, verse back to Exodus 20. I've got to get through this introduction quickly. <clears throat> because we've already discussed all these things. But in verse 7, we've, we've looked at this one now. You shall not, this is the third one, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And we looked at the word take, uh, meaning to put yourself into a place of authority over. So 
so that you feel like you have a right to use God's name however and whenever you choose to. And the name is the full disclosure of the character of a person. It's not talking here about a label. It's talking about the full disclosure. Don't take the character of God and profane it. So keep his name and all it stands for bright and shining so that everyone can see the God whom you worship as he really is the God who is there. Now in verse 8, we go on to today's lesson. And that is God's designation for a Sabbath. Now think with me a principle first. Most activity in the world around us is random activity with a fixed, within a fixed system. Who can explain to me what I just said? You want to give it a whirl? Don't be afraid to be right. The system is set. So with people, that's true. Even with a sparrow, does God micromanage where a sparrow builds its particular nest? But it has a system. It can violate that system. What are those old? We have doves. We have a lot of doves. You all know all know what a dove is. Oh yeah, there's a lot of doves around, and uh, the Bible refers to them in the book of Hosea as being somewhat silly. You get the idea of a a silly dove, and he talks uh, talks about the people of Israel as a silly dove. That's Hosea, and isn't it interesting? <clears throat> that uh, doves just kind of build their nest anywhere. Yeah. And we find eggs down on a walk, you know, they come off the, and they, they put their eggs on the ground, you know, they don't seem to have any much of a system. But the point is that a lot of most activity in the world today, storm activity, is random activity, but within a fixed system. And God does not micromanage even the sparrow's life. God knows. Now I'm going to read the scripture. So listen up. God knows when things go bad for a sparrow. Let's go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 29, 30, and 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? What do you suppose Jesus is introducing here? The idea is that sparrows really aren't worth much. And yet not one of them fall to the ground apart from your father? Are you thinking with me? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. 
Now, with Chad, that's a problem. With me, it's no problem at all. So, verse 31, So do not fear. You are more value. You are more valuable than many, many sparrows. You see, it says that when something goes bad for a sparrow, God knows about it. But do things still go bad for the sparrow? Does the sparrow still fall? Yeah, it still falls. And when it falls, does it get hurt? Yeah, probably gets hurt or dies. So what's... You see, God does not intervene nor micromanage the sparrow's life and does not provide it with the protection so that it will only build its nest in the right place and that it will never fall if something happens or it's in a storm. But God is aware. Even though that sparrow dies, God will not step in and violate the random activity within a fixed system. You see the principle? So there are many things, and we could give you, you know, tons of illustrations on that, but most activity is random, uh, but within a fixed system. God does not micromanage life. <clears throat> It would be the violation of the self-restraint that he imposes upon his own sovereignty to do so. But there are some actions and some things that we are to know about that are specifically designated by God that we cannot alter. And the Sabbath is one of them. There are some matters that God has not left to man to decide. So if you will go with me to Exodus 20. Now, by the way, I'm not done yet. That doesn't clarify everything. But look, look at uh, verse, uh, Exodus chapter 20 now and verse 8. <clears throat> you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That's verse 7. Now number 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, this was written to whom? We established that in verse 3, or in verse 1 of this chapter, to the Israelite particularly. Now, we're going to go back and give you some history behind this in just a moment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six day you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, and by the way, if you did, what happened to you? Mm-hmm. You're right. You're thinking right. <clears throat> so don't mess up on the Sabbath day. Now remember, we're not done yet. Or your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, first of all, let's look at that context. 
and then we have to expand it out. First thing he begins with is the idea of remember. Remember, that's in verse 8, remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep the access to this fact unencumbered. That's what a memory does. I have, I have some things, I have problems remembering sometimes. I guess I have about a 27% loss of memory. And I can feel that. Hopefully that comes back. But the access into your memory is to be unencumbered when it comes to this subject about what he's talking about here. If you go into a store, we have fire lanes. And if you have a fire lane that goes through a storage part of your store, what do you have to do in that fire lane? Or a school? Keep it clear. That's the idea here with this word remember, is to keep the access into your memory clear. Don't let it get cluttered. If you get it cluttered up, and you have a fire lane to the exterior, and you allow it to get cluttered, and you have a problem, what happens with your exit? Can't get out. People die. So that's the kind of an idea that he is stressing here, is that we must remember, that means keep the access to this truth unencumbered. Don't let Anything get in the way of your thinking about this issue and remembering about the Sabbath day. We do. You see, that's why we review things here because we, we have to always keep remembering. It's to remember that we don't get our minds cluttered with things that destroy or get in the way of our quick access to our thinking. Don't let the affairs of life clutter your life. Don't let the memory of creation get dimmed. Let it always be accessible. Look at with me in Luke chapter 17. <clears throat> Luke chapter 17. <clears throat> The idea here of memory. Um, <clears throat> Luke 17 and verse 32. This is a great memory verse. You know why it's a great memory verse? Because it's got three words. Let's see how many of you can remember Luke, what did I say? 17, 32? 17, is that right? Luke 17:32 What does it say? Remember Lot's, Remember Lot's wife. And that's, and that's from memory. All right. How many can tell me what's found in Luke 17:32? Oh, you're good. So, if I said to you where is the Bible verse that said to remember Lot's wife? Where would you point me? Got it? Oh, you're quick. 
All right. <clears throat> well, I think we're we're getting the point there. So remember Lot's wife. He, he's saying don't let your mind get cluttered so that you forget what happened to Lot. When she looked back, what happened to her? Remember? She turned into a pillar of salt. I don't know whether it's in today's bulletin or was in last week's bulletin. Uh, I had a little one in one of those little one-liners. If it's, if it's not there today, maybe it'll be in next week. I meant to put it in today, but I may not have got it in. I'm working about three weeks ahead. Sometimes I forget. What's that, Fred? Well, I suppose because it was the salt sea, he just used the natural minerals that were there, but I don't know the answer other than that. Yeah, turned into a pillar of salt. God said uh, for his, you take your wife and flee. And so the little one-liner I've got in the bulletin is, the little boy says, I know what happened to Lot's wife, but what happened to the flea? (laughs) (laughs) You'll see it whenever it comes up. Or was it there last week? I I don't remember. But anyway, um, you know, play on words there. But you, you, you have to keep, you have to remember that if you made a decision to go with God His way, He says, don't forget, remember Lot's wife, the consequences of turning back. The consequences of turning back. Or just looking back. Or just even looking back. Just turning to look back with favor upon the world that you're just coming out of. And what a mess it was. But she turned and looked back to a society filled with homosexuality, perversion, and that's why it's that's where our words Sodom and Gomorrah come from. Sodomy and gonorrhea come from the words Sodom and Gomorrah, which is the Old Testament story here about what it was that uh, they were called out of. And going out of that on their escape, Lot's wife looked back, looked back to what, you know, who knows. But whenever whenever you turn from sin and go to what's right, go from secularism to Christianity, you know, whatever it is you've turned from to go toward what's right, and then you look back, there are consequences. You always are weakened in some way. So <clears throat> he's giving a principle here. That's the idea of remember. And he says that do, do, do the same thing to the Sabbath. Do not, do not allow anything to clutter the avenue and access in your mind to the understanding of what the Sabbath is about. <clears throat> Look at what he says in Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> you know how you know how to find Ecclesiastes? Where is Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament? 
What? Ecclesiastes? <clears throat> oh, you're in the right class, right uh, classification. Uh, Ecclesiastes is one of the books of poetry. We have how many books of poetry? Good, Corey. She said five. That's what it is. Five books of poetry. Who can name the five books of poetry? Beginning with Job. What's next? Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Five books written in poetic form to evoke an emotional response. We don't go there for doc- doctrine necessarily, but to uh, they're, they're written for the idea of creating a feeling, uh, to evoking a response. <clears throat> All right. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 1, notice what he tells to uh, the kids. Remember your Creator. And that is very comparable to what he says about the Sabbath day. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of no purpose, evil means without purpose and design, come and the years draw nigh when you will say, I have no delight in knowing about the things of God. I have no delight in life. No delight. No hope. No future. So it's all that... We have to keep our minds uncluttered from things that will come in and detain us from maintaining that idea of God as the Creator because, folks, that's what puts everything into perspective. And that's why he gave to them the fourth commandment of remembering the Sabbath day. Now, secondly, <clears throat> go to Second Thessalonians with me. Oh, back, uh, excuse me, back to Exodus chapter 20. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 20, and look at verse, uh, look at the next verse, verse 9. Not only to remember the Sabbath day, you know, and we've emphasized here the idea of remember it. Nine, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Folks, look at the work ethic. You see the work ethic? What is the work ethic? Six days to work. You get your work done in six days. Now, you know, you don't have a lot of extra time in life to do things that you'd like to do. But there, God established the work ethic to the nation of Israel right back here with the giving of the law. People are designed to work. We feel best when we're working, whatever it may be, you know, whatever that is. And so that's why it says, it says to the children that it is good to learn the yoke of labor in your youth. That means when you're four years old, learn how to hold corn. All right, let's go. Just one more verse. <clears throat> wow. I know what I'm going to do next week. <clears throat> In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. <clears throat> 2 Thess- Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. 
Now here, the, the, we're talking about God established a work ethic along with the remember the Sabbath day. And that is that you're to work, get your work done, get it accomplished. But then, the seventh day, you're to do what? Okay, now next week, God permitting, we're going to show you how progressive revelation works in the application of that to the new covenant. But that's not where we are today. We're looking at the, the context itself. So in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. Now, we, speaking of the apostles, and those who are probably Paul, Silas, and Timothy, when they were with the church at Thessaloniki, when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, oh, what does it say? Then he shall not eat. You see, we introduced this today by talking about there are times when we need to bring our thinking in alignment with how God thinks, and we say somehow, I just wish that God would think the way I think because I, I wouldn't let anybody go without eating. But you see, the apostolic authority says this in Second Thessalonians, that if a person is not willing to work, not willing to work, not willing to fulfill the work ethic, created by creation itself. If you are not willing to work, then he is not to eat. And notice then verse, uh, we'll we'll finish with this verse, uh, I mean with this context. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life. Isn't that what happens? When you start feeding people who do not work, you start paying their rent, Food, yeah, food stamps or whatever. Not saying that, you know, that it's always wrong, but just saying that the system is wrong. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. And there is a force involved in that word that really means that if they have anything to eat and they haven't earned it, take it away from them. That will give you something to chew on with your chompers. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life. Doesn't that go along with it? Doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. So many of them get involved in politics. Now, such persons we command, such persons we command under apostolic authority, and, that, and he's speaking here to those who are in the church. What goes on in the world, that's not our business. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. And as for you, brethren, do not become weary, do not grow weary of doing the right thing. So here we have that work ethic brought down into the new covenant 
For the same reason, God is the Creator and we're to work. It's designed that we work, that we be working, and that we work enough so that what we participate in are the products of what we have earned. That cuts a lot of foolishness out of life right there. All right, we've got to quit, folks. Next week, we're going to talk about how you look at the Sabbath even includes your guest. But remember that we're still looking at it from the standpoint primarily of the Old Covenant. All right, where have we been today briefly? We have reviewed verses 3, 4, and 7 about God. And we have introduced the idea of the Sabbath and that it was a day of rest, not of worship. Now that will cause you some things. But nowhere in the Bible is the Sabbath day ever considered a day of worship. It is a day of rest. And we'll find the application why that is so critical when we get down to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Okay? Let's sing one verse of a closing song today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly!